0: What's going on everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I'm your host JT. We're live really late tonight. It currently is 1 17 a.m. I really apologize for that. I'm going to try to start going live a little bit more earlier but I'm a late night kind of guy. You guys kind of already know this but I'll try to start the live streams up a little bit earlier around like 11 12 o'clock because we do go live after the monday night and thursday night game so sometimes our live stream schedule can get a little bit hectic and thrown off at times but we got a really good episode tonight we had a couple of upsets that took place tonight you had the giants led by tommy devito taking down the green bay packers the dolphins collapsed the final two minutes against the tennessee titans We're going to get into that. We also have a lot more other things we're going to discuss. The Steelers aren't going to make it to the playoffs. The Ravens, the Eagles, what are their Super Bowl chances? Got some thoughts on the transfer portal. Colorado, they are overhauling their offensive line with it. Is it good for the future of college football? Has it made the sport better? Has it made it worse? We're going to talk some college football playoff topics and why washington has a big advantage against texas and who's going to win the one seed in the nfc before we get into it leave a like subscribe to the channel remember that every episode of the podcast that's uploaded on the channel including the live streams is available in audio format on all podcasting platforms Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcast from. The JT Sports Podcast is available. Leave us with a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. Share this episode or the pod with your friends, family members, and acquaintances if you enjoy. And let's get into it, man. So the Miami Dolphins completely collapsed against the Tennessee Titans. They were up 28-13. to 13 with only a few minutes left to go in the fourth quarter, and they absolutely imploded on themselves. You can blame Mike McDaniels and Tua Tagovailoa for the way that their last two drives went, three and out. Then you have Tua who gets sacked on the final play, and there was questionable play calling. They ran the ball in situations when they should have thrown it, and they threw the ball in certain spots when they should have ran it. The fact that Miami lost this game doesn't really surprise me because I was already a little bit on edge about them being a double-digit favorite against a Mike Vrabel coach team. And if you keep up with Tennessee and you've watched this team play under Mike Vrabel the last couple of years, you would know that this is a team that you can never count out. They're a scrappy football team. They're going to fight. They're going to claw their ways to wins. And they're a team that you can never count out. You can never overlook. Like, the Dolphins lost this game, despite the fact that Tennessee gave them the rock two times. You had the muff punt. Then you had the fumble when Will Levis was trying to pitch the ball to Derrick Henry. And you would have thought at this point, the Dolphins had this game in the bag. But that just goes to show you the kind of team that Tennessee is under Mike Vrabel. They're gritty. They're scrappy. And I don't think that nobody else in this game embodied the personality of Mike Vrabel better than their young quarterback in Will Levis. He had another game. We haven't seen him have a performance like this since his debut against Atlanta when he threw four touchdowns against them. He came out and he gave us another reason why we should have more confidence as this guy being the franchise quarterback of the Titans for the foreseeable future. This dude was poised. He was really calm with pressure in his face. He made some really accurate throws downfield. He had a big throw to number 15. He made a couple of big throws to DeAndre Hopkins. And how about the people who thought that DeAndre Hopkins was washed up? Tonight, he definitely showed that he still has a lot of juice left in the tank. And he is on the regressing side of the football career that people label once you hit 30 that's when you start to hit the stage of regression but Hall of Fame level players like D-Hop regress at a slower rate than the average player DeAndre Hopkins still has two good years of high level football we saw a play in this game when he pretty much mossed two three defenders in Miami secondary and late in this game he had a big run after catch like DeAndre Hopkins was fucking unstoppable in this game and when you look back at Will Levis, this is one of those games that, if you're a Titans fan, gives you a lot of confidence in him moving forward as him being the future at QB. Something that you kind of have had an issue with the last couple of years. And I wasn't really that high on Will Levis when he was coming out of Kentucky. But this dude does fit the personality of this team really well tough gritty he had a tough run that almost resulted in a touchdown earlier in this game when he's running guys over he's putting his body on the line this is a rough rider and this dude has the locker room rallying behind him he was going on the sideline he was getting amped up he was fist pumping guys guys were getting amped up for him because of his performance. And they were down 28-13, and when it seemed like everything was going wrong and this game was over, that's when this team locked in and they just completely outperformed the Miami Dolphins. This was a game that Miami had to win. Tennessee winning this game still doesn't improve their chances of making it to the postseason. It doesn't really matter about the draft positioning because Mike Vrabel doesn't give a damn about tanking or draft picks he wants to win but at five and eight the Titans don't really have a great shot at making it to the postseason even if they do finish out only because the AFC is so tough that you can be a 10-win team and still not make it into the playoffs Miami this was a really big loss for them Because now you're one game back of Baltimore for the one seed. And then you look at the next month of football for you. The New York Jets with the way they played against Houston. They are going to be a tough outing. The Dallas Cowboys. You got the Ravens. You got the Bills. That's your last three games of the season. This is a huge loss for Miami. Especially when you look at their hopes of trying to make a deep playoff run. Having that one seed would have been so huge for them. And Tua... I'm not going to put this loss all on him. The offensive line didn't look good, but you look for a guy like him to have big moments in the full quarter to be able to get your team to win, especially with the ball in his hands. You would have thought that the Dolphins could have at least made it into field goal range, but Tua didn't really step up in this game, but the rest of this team didn't really do their part as well. And then why, where was Tyreek Hill? The closing minutes of this game, he was nowhere to be found. Like, I'm really puzzled in how Miami decided to go about the last final minutes of this game. Questionable play calling, questionable clock management, and then just poor execution out of the offense. When you're Mike McDaniel and you're regarded as one of the best offensive minds in the sport, you would think that your offense can at least get you in the field goal range and can, you can kick the game, win the field goal, and win this game. I never felt like Miami was going to dominate Tennessee. Mike Vrabel is too good of a coach for that to happen, but you at least would have thought with this being one of the best teams in the AFC, they would be able to pull out a tough game like this if they're a legitimate Super Bowl contender like how some fans claim they are. The Giants, led by Tommy DeVito, shocked the Packers. And the last time I can remember, a player who played for a New York team having this kind of phenomenally of a run was Jeremy Lin when he had Lin Sanity with the New York Knicks. You got to call this DeVito Sanity right now because they're on a three-game win streak with this dude, and he has energized this team. Before he took over as a starting quarterback, this team was down and out. This fan base was pretty much looking forward to tanking for Caleb Williams. And all of a sudden, Tommy DeVito... Ever since that performance against the Las Vegas Raiders and the Dallas Cowboys, he's played some incredible football, and he's led the Giants to now their third straight win. And their playoff chances are not over yet. They still, if they can win out, maybe they could compete for the seventh seed. The team that gets in that seven in the NFC possibly could do it with maybe eight, nine wins, depending on how things go. Tommy DeVito... To me right now, he looks better than Daniel Jones. And that may be a hot take, but at least with how he's played this season with the shit offensive line and a not so great team around him, he took a situation that Daniel Jones was terrible in and he's taken this situation and made lemons into lemonade with it. I don't want to hear any excuses about Daniel Jones' poor performance this season when Tommy DeVito has outperformed him as an undrafted rookie for agent. I thought this dude was a bum after he stunk it up against the Las Vegas Raiders, right? And when you think about the Giants, you think about a team that they're pretty much playing for nothing. Because you would think that their season is over. So why the hell are they out here playing their hearts out against the Green Bay Packers? Well, just because you think they were counted out and they were out for the count doesn't mean that these players aren't going to come in and try to fight hard and try to win. You see, when everybody was thinking that the Giants were tanking for Kayla Williams, you got a guy like Tommy DeVito who comes in, energizes the team, and then the team starts to rally behind them. Do you not see the way that these players react to Tommy DeVito on the sideline? They obviously love this dude, and they look to this dude as a leader. And for somebody to come in and have this kind of energy and play the way that he's had is really impressive. Because this team now, they got a little bit of hope, even if they can't make it to the playoffs. This team is still going to continue to fight hard in the rest of the games they play because of Tommy DeVito and the energy that he has brought. He's really good throwing on the run. He has underrated athleticism. I had a homie that was doing prize picks and he picked Tommy DeVito under 17 and a half rushing yards and we're watching this game and he instantly regretted it. He had a really big run in this game when he juked out a defender and damn near scored. And then he was really big in the closing minutes of this game. He put the Giants in field goal range that eventually led to the game-winning field goal. This dude is clutch. He's poised, and he's getting better every single week. And when Daniel Jones comes back, of course we know that he's going to get the reins at quarterback again. But if he stinks it up, Tom DeVito could be a dude who can come in and could be a solid replacement for him. Hell, for all we know... You may have another version of Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy, yeah, he didn't go undrafted, but he was one pick shy of going undrafted. I'm not saying that Tommy DeVito is going to be the next Kurt Warner or anything or the next Tony Romo, but this dude has something special about him. And he's getting better every single week. And, you know, this is a terrible situation that the Giants had prior to him taking over. I mean, nobody looked like they were going to be able to succeed at quarterback with how bad this offensive line has been and their lack of talent at wide receiver. But Tommy DeVito took what what we thought was one of the worst situations in the National Football League, and now he's turned into one of the best stories in the NFL. And he may just be a great story. This may just be a lightning in the bottle situation. If Daniel Jones is terrible next season and he comes back in, maybe he isn't as good. But... If I'm the Giants, I'm looking at Daniel Jones, and I'm looking at Tommy DeVito, and I'm asking him, you know, we're paying you all this money, and yet you are awful, but Tommy DeVito looks better than you. Why is that? When we look at this loss for the Green Bay Packers, really disappointing. This was a Jordan Love performance that was a mixed bag. He wasn't awful, but he definitely did kill them with the fumble that he had, which you can't really put too much blame on him for that happening because he did get popped. The Giants' pass rush was getting after him for the majority of this game. But then he did have a really dumb interception that he threw, which I I didn't even know what the hell he was looking at, even trying to attempt that pass, what he saw. But those were two costly mistakes. But late in this game, he did put the Packers in position to win. They lost this game because Joe Barry's defense folded. And I kind of thought that this defense was starting to make somewhat of a turnaround under Joe Barry when you look back at how well they played against the Detroit Lions. You know, I didn't really think that they were going to be able to beat the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving. And then on Sunday night football, they had an outstanding performance against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And yeah, the Chiefs' offense has struggled this season. But you didn't, you probably weren't expecting for Joe Barry's defense to be able to keep Patrick Mahomes from leading Kansas City downfield and eventually winning the game. I mean, I was pretty confident that Patrick Mahomes was going to pull something out of his you know what and lead Kansas City on a game-winning touchdown drive, but it didn't happen. You know, Joe Barry. This dude continues to underperform as the Packers' defensive coordinator. This loss isn't all on him. If this was a mistake-free game, the Packers probably would have improved their chances of winning. Jordan Love's turnovers definitely did cost him. But with the talent that they have on defense, even with Jair Alexander out, you still would have thought that they would be able to win this game against a New York Giants offense that for most of this season— hasn't been that great, especially when you're going up against an undrafted rookie free agent quarterback. Joe Barry is a veteran defensive coordinator. You can't make any more excuses for this. With an undrafted rookie free agent, you would have thought that the Giants going downfield and getting in the scoring range would have been damn near impossible. But, you know, this is just another reason why the Packers should have already moved on from this guy's their defensive coordinator. Just this was a terrible loss for a team that it looked like they were heading in a really promising direction in far as far as their playoff hopes. But now if this loss, they're still in the hole trying to get back into it. But they still got a chance to get that seventh seed. Their schedule coming up is pretty easy. You got to play the Bucks, the Panthers, the Vikings, and the Bears. But with you losing to the New York Giants tonight, I don't think you can look at any game on the rest of the schedule unless you're playing the Panthers and draw up a W with you losing to an undrafted rookie free agent and Tommy DeVito and your defense not being able to slow him down and seal in the win for you. And Jordan Love, yeah, he's had some impressive games, but he's still fairly inconsistent when it comes to taking care of the football. And you need to play a whole entire game at peak level. You can't just show up the last quarter of the game and not get criticized for poor play the first three quarters before. He needs to be a more consistent quarterback for a full 60 minutes. Sometimes this season there's been games when he's played good in the first half and then he hasn't showed up in the second half. And then there's been games when he's been awful in the first half and then he shows up in the second half. And then you got some games when he's been able to put it all together like we've seen out of him the last couple of weeks prior to this game. And then you got performances when he just looks terrible all the way around for all four quarters. So this dude, as far as him being the franchise quarterback for Green Bay, You know, I still don't really know. I was pretty confident that they had their guy last week, but a game like this when it should be an easy win, going against an undrafted rookie free agent and you can't pull it off and you kind of struggle with taking care of the football, still don't know if the Packers still have their guy. I'm 60% sure that he can be the future at QB for this team. Don't want to judge him off one performance when he has played some really good football, but this was a tough watch. If we haven't, if you haven't already, leave a like, subscribe to the channel. Remember that every episode of the podcast that's uploaded on the channel is available in audio format on all podcasting platforms. Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcast from, the JT Sports podcast is available. Got to get a sip of water real quick. Before we resume... Make sure that you guys go ahead and copy you uh, a Starry Galaxy projector light. Christmas is just around the corner. It makes for a great gift for your friends, family members, or loved one. We're going to have the ad running for that right now. We'll be right back. Moving on. Man, are you tired of looking at your stale, boring ass room? You want to know a way you can spice your room up and turn that thing into a out of this galaxy experience? Click the link in the description or pinned comment and grab you a starry projector light. The starry projector light comes with 10 changeable color options, a built-in Bluetooth speaker, 12 and 15 switchable constellations, planets, moons, and stars. Transform your room from a depressing wasteland into a vibrant starry wonderland. The starry projector light makes for a great holiday gift. For family, friends, and loved ones, click the link in the description or pin pinned comment and get one today and transform your room into a breathtaking, starry wonderland. You know, as a diehard Steelers fan, I've had enough of this team for this season. You know, Mike Tomlin, one thing that he always preaches is the standard is the standard and complacency and mediocrity are never tolerated. But yet, it's ironic how He says complacency and mediocrity are something that he has zero tolerance for. But yet, the Steelers are still rocking with Mitchell Trubisky as the starting quarterback this week against Indianapolis. You know, I don't know if Mitch Trubisky has Mike Tomlin at gunpoint. Or if Mike Tomlin is either trying to throw the towel in on the season, or if he just doesn't care, or thinks that Mitchell Trubisky is better than Mason Rudolph, and Mason Rudolph is just so much worse than Mitch Trubisky, I don't know what's going on with Mike Tomlin's thinking right now, but I'm really ready to move on for him as a head coach. Because this situation right now obviously shows you that this dude has just lost touch. With the offense side of football, and he's a defensive-minded guy, but you can't be this inept as a head coach to realize that Mr. Trubisky isn't going to cut it as the starter until Kenny Pickett comes back. Mason Rudolph, yeah, this dude isn't good either, but he deserves opportunity. With how bad Mr. Trubisky is, this dude constantly overlooks wide open wide receivers, and even when the wide receiver is open, he overthrows them the majority of the times. He can't read defenses. He's clumsy, doesn't take care of the football. When you have a team that wins on special teams and defense, ball security is your main priority. And one thing about Kenny Pickett that I do give him credit for is that at least he doesn't have a lot of costly turnovers. That's the one knock that I don't have on Kenny Pickett. I have it with Mitch Trubisky. That's why he's not a good backup. You want your backup quarterback to keep you in a game and not cost you a game. Mitch Trubisky, with his dumbass decision-making and his clumsy play, costed the Steelers against the Patriots. And he also costed them last year against the Carolina Panthers late in the season when Kenny Pickett got injured. I never understood why the Steelers even signed this fool in the first place on this damn team. And I was really puzzled that this dude is still on the roster. Mason Rudolph deserves opportunity to start. And, you know, the Steelers have four games left this season. And they currently are sixth in the playoff race right now when it comes to the AFC playoffs. But to be honest with you, I doubt this team is going to make it into the playoffs. The Houston Texans. They're down and out right now. They're dealing with a lot of major injuries. C.J. Stroud is dealing with a concussion. So they probably aren't going to be a team that's going to be able to finish off. But what about the Broncos and definitely the Buffalo Bills? If there was a team that I was confident that could take the Steelers' playoff spot, it probably would be Buffalo. They got a talented quarterback in Josh Allen, and this is a team that is good enough to still win a Super Bowl. Okay, the thing with them is just they haven't played their best football, At times this season, they had some really disastrous collapses in the fourth quarter on the defense side of the football. But Buffalo, they have a better chance at making it to the postseason than Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's last four games, they got to play Indianapolis. They got to play the Bengals, Seahawks, and Ravens. The good thing is that if you can win out, you're going to get in. But I'm pretty confident the Steelers won't win out. You see, the Steelers are probably going to find a way to pull off an upset against the Colts even though I wouldn't consider it an upset. And then they may find a way to beat the Ravens. But they're probably going to lose to the Seattle Seahawks and the Cincinnati Bengals. They're going to have one letdown game. Even if the Ravens clinch the one seed and they rest their starters the final week against Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh probably still could lose that game because one consistent theme under Mike Tomlin with this team is that they always underperform to inferior competition. They lost to two of the worst teams in the NFL in back-to-back weeks, the Arizona Cardinals and the New England Patriots. Mike Tomlin, he doesn't have it anymore as the head coach of this team to be good enough to have this team in a situation when they can rally and win out for the rest of this season. They may go two of two their last couple of games, but they're not going to go 4-0. Not with Mr. Biscay at quarterback. And even with Mason Rudolph, he— isn't even better than Mitchell Trubisky. He's not good neither. He's terrible also. He's not going to make this situation any better. And even with Kenny Pickett coming back, there's no guarantee that the Steelers will be able to go for zero and, and make it into the postseason. This was a 9-18 and coming into this season. There was a little bit of optimism based on what we saw out of this offense in the preseason. But that just goes to show why you can never take the preseason too seriously. This offense has been one of the worst in the NFL, and it's been this way for the last couple of years since 2019, ever since that Washington loss with Alex Smith. This team's offense hasn't been the same since. And it's just really disappointing that you have a championship-caliber defense, even with a questionable secondary at times, but it gets wasted because this offense just is so inept. And Mike Tomlin, inability to how you're a competent offensive coordinator. The Steelers haven't had a good offensive coordinator since they let go of Todd Haley. And if you want to go further than that, Bruce Arians, when he was the OC. So Mike Tomlin, he he just has lost touch with what it takes to build a championship-caliber football team. Yeah, he's never had a winning season, and the Steelers most likely are going to go 9-8, and but who gives a F anymore? You know, if your goal isn't to win championships every single season and you're okay with nine and eight seasons, then doesn't that mean that that's complacency at its finest? Isn't that mediocrity? And that's just what the new standard has become in Pittsburgh. This went from a championship organization to a nine and eight is okay organization. And we're okay with occasionally making it into the wild card round and getting smacked. This is the same head coach who lost to the Cleveland Browns with the interim head coach. You can put that on Big Ben and his turnovers all you want to, but Mike Tomlin got out coached in that game as well. You see, Mike Tomlin is a great raw, raw guy, but over the last couple of years, he hasn't proven to make great adjustments, and his clock management isn't that good neither. He's a good coach, but it's time for the Steelers to move on and part way. They are not going to make it into the playoffs, people. And I'm not a Steelers hater. I'm a diehard Steelers fan. I'm a lifelong Steelers fan. I've been a Steelers fan ever since I first started watching the league. But I've never been as low as my on Mike Tomlin as what I am right now. I've never been somebody who has called for Mike Tomlin to be fired until recently. Because I now have seen the writing on the wall. You know, there's an old expression that goes, sometimes you just outgrow people. Everything... Every relationship, every person you meet isn't meant to last forever. Some people are meant to be around for a certain season. And Mike Tomlin's season is pretty much over with Pittsburgh. Even if they bring him back for one more season, if the Steelers can't even win a playoff game, they should still move on. You know, they've missed on quarterback with Kenny Pickett. They've whiffed on countless other positions. You know, the offensive line has improved, but Mason Cole isn't great. They haven't made a lot of big-time acquisitions in free agency. I mean, this team, outside of drafting great pass rushers and okay players in the secondary, they're not really great at drafting anything else when it comes to receiver, edge rusher, and maybe a defensive back or two. That's about it. Running back, Najee Harris, isn't as good as what you expect him to be coming from a first-round pick. And I mean... Jalen Warren has outplayed him. And this dude was undrafted. I watched him a lot coming out of Oklahoma State. And then you look at the offensive line, like, there's a couple of okay players there, but Mason Cole, who they signed in the free agency not too long ago, he needs to be benched, and he still hasn't been benched. And the receivers are fine, but what's the point to having? Great receivers if you can't get them the ball. I can't blame George Pickens for being upset. I'm frustrated, too. Every time I see that offense on the field and it goes three and out, I get upset. And I get frustrated. I'm pretty sure all Steelers fans have been having similar reactions to the Steelers' offensive performance just as Jellers Pickens has. But this is not going to be a playoff team this year. The Bengals have a better shot at making it into the playoffs than the Steelers. And Jake Browning, he looks better than Kenny Pickett and Mr. Biscay. It's crazy how the Bengals' backup quarterback is better than the Steelers' starting quarterback. And you can't say he has a better situation. I mean, Kenny Pickett has weapons. Mitch Trubisky has weapons, and they still aren't good. Kenny Pickett has played better, but not good enough. Not good enough to lead the Steelers to anything more than a first-round exit if they even make it to the playoffs. The Broncos have a better shot at winning out than the Steelers, especially the Bills. This isn't going to be a playoff team. Mike Tomlin, he's lost a little bit of his flavor as a head coach. He may not be a bad coach. He still is a top five, top 10 coach. I wouldn't consider him top five based on what we've seen the past two weeks. But he's still a really good coach. It's just, it's time to move on. And he's a large reason why the Steelers aren't going to get into the playoffs. This is the best opportunity that the Ravens and Lamar Jackson have to win the Super Bowl. There are no more excuses for Lamar Jackson not being able to win it all this year in Baltimore. Look, the AFC is a cakewalk for the Ravens at this point. The Dolphins just lost Monday night to the Tennessee Titans. You are one game ahead of everybody for the first seed. Kansas City, they're down and out right now. Their offense, it stinks. And there's nobody else in the AFC that has as good as a roster as what the Baltimore Ravens have. This is the most complete team in this conference. You got plenty of weapons at wide receiver, and that's been the biggest excuse that we've had for Lamar Jackson not being able to get it done. He's never had the same level of talent at wide receiver that guys like Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow have had. He has that now in Zay Flowers, OBJ, who's started to come on late. You still got Rashad Bateman. Isaiah likely has made a couple of big plays. He had a really good game Sunday against the Rams. You got a great group of running backs, a great offensive line. You got arguably the best defense statistically in the NFL. There's no more room for Lamar Jackson to not be able to get out of this conference this year. You don't have to go through any big-name quarterbacks too much to get it done. Maybe a Josh Allen or a Joe Burrow. Well, you don't got to worry about Joe Burrow because he's injured. But you may have to see Patrick Mahomes. But with how bad Kansas City's offense has looked with their lack of talent at wide receiver, Baltimore, if they can hold on to the one seed, they'll easily take down Kansas City at home. Baltimore has played their best football when they've played at home this season. So Lamar and Baltimore, they can hang on to this one seed, which I believe that they will. I really feel strongly about their chances of making it to the Super Bowl. There is no reason why the Ravens shouldn't win the AFC this year. This is the easiest path that Lamar Jackson is ever going to have to the Super Bowl for the rest of his career. I promise you. And this may be a situation where if the Ravens don't take advantage of it this season, they may not ever get over the top. Because next season, the Chiefs are most likely going to have an improved group of wide receivers. Joe Burrow is going to be back fully healthy. Trevor Lawrence and Jacksonville, they're going to be even better. Aaron Rodgers is going to be back and healthy. The Jets could be better. And so are the Dolphins. And the Buffalo Bills could bounce back. If the Ravens can't get it done now with Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills fighting for the playoff lives, probably going to have to play in the wild card round. And then outside of Josh Allen, Joe Burrow goes down. You only really got to worry about Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. And that's about it. Those are the two best quarterbacks that you're going to face in the postseason, potentially. Trevor Lawrence and Jacksonville, they're too inconsistent. You're a more consistent team than them. And you're more talented. You can get after the quarterback. Lamar Jackson has been more consistent in his play than what Trevor Lawrence has been this season. Lamar Jackson, he's came up small in the playoffs before, but I'm not somebody who likes to judge teams and try to make a narrative about a player because of history. Just because Lamar Jackson hasn't played well in the playoffs before doesn't mean that's going to continue to be how he plays in the postseason for the rest of his career. He does have a playoff win, He did beat Tennessee one time in the wildcard round. People seem to forget. And this is the best team that he's ever had. Better than the 2019 team that they had when he won MVP and they got upset in the divisional round by the Tennessee Titans. There's no more excuses for the Ravens and Lamar Jackson to not be able to win it all. This is the best team without any argument, any debate in the AFC right now. The Dolphins have yet to be the good team this year. The Ravens have. The Ravens have been dominant at home this season. Lamar Jackson, when he's on, he's arguably been the second or third best quarterback in the NFL up there with Mahomes and Josh Allen. And he also takes better care of the football than Josh Allen. And with Todd Munkin, that offensive coordinator, he has taken this offense to a level that the Ravens haven't seen in a very long time. There is absolutely no more excuses for Lamar Jackson if the Ravens aren't hoisting the Lombardi Trophy, if they can't even win the AFC this year. You may lose to San Francisco or Dallas or maybe Philadelphia in the Super Bowl. That's okay. But there's no reason why you shouldn't win this conference. I remember a couple of years ago when Lamar Jackson got drafted. You know he told Deion Sanders? He told them, they're going to get a Super Bowl out of me Believe that. And if Lamar Jackson is ever going to have the perfect opportunity to deliver on that promise, is this season? The path to the Super Bowl is pretty much golden for Baltimore. Yeah, they may have a couple of close calls here and there. They do got a really big game against the San Francisco 49ers. But I'm really confident that this team is going to make it out of the AFC. And before this season, I told you guys that the AFC was going to come down to either the Baltimore Ravens or the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Burrow isn't coming back this season. And Jake Browning, he's looked okay. They may get into the playoffs with him, but he's not going to take them further than the wild card round. I was either going with the Ravens or the Bengals to win the AFC. I went Cincinnati, but when Joe Burrow got injured, I instantly changed it to Baltimore. I believe in Lamar Jackson. The talent that he has around him this year, there's no more excuses for why he should struggle in the playoffs, especially with how great this defense is, although they can be a little bit shaky at times. But with this pass rush, they can slow down nearly any offense. There's not a dominant team in the AFC that's better than the Ravens. They're the only dominant team in this conference right now. So, If Lamar can't get it done this year and the Ravens can't win it all, I don't think they're going to have another opportunity to have an easier path than what they have this season. They need to capitalize off it. You know, Shadur Sanders has some help on the way, people. Deion Sanders, he's been going heavy in the transfer portal, improving that offensive line. And their offensive line overall is going exceptionally well right now. A couple of days ago, they got a big time commitment from Jordan Seaton out of IMG Academy. He's the number one ranked offensive tackle in the upcoming 2024 recruiting class. And then in the transfer portal, they bring in Amari Ward, 6'1", 310-pound interior offensive lineman who played for Coach Prime at Jackson State. He's probably going to be more of a deaf guy. And then they got some really good quality starters out of the portal such as khalil benson who's a transfer from indiana he started the last 17 games for the hoosiers he only allowed one sack playing right tackle this past season so this is going to be somebody who can come in and be an instant starter for colorado at right tackle then you're going to have jordan see in that left tackle you should have your two offensive tackle spots drastically improved from the play you got out of those two positions last season then When you look at what they bring in at guard, you got UTEP transfer, Justin Mayers, who only allowed one sack this past season for UTEP. This is somebody who is a phenomenal pass blocker. He had a 84 point something pass blocking grade according to Pro Football Focus. He's also really good in the run game. And he also played left guard. He can play right guard. So you got a really versatile offensive lineman that can play any spot on the interior offensive line. You got Lecar- Y'Kari Walker, who transferred from UConn. He was the 16th best interior offensive lineman. According to R3, he started in all 12 games for the Huskies this past season. Only gave up one sack. You got Houston transfer Tyler Johnson, who is a former four-star recruit. He's 6'5", 320 pounds. He only allowed two sacks over 890 career snaps for Houston. And he played left guard this year. So your offensive guard spots should be drastically improved this season. Your offensive tackle spots should be majorly improved this season. They also going to probably bring in some more transfers on that offensive line as well. So they're probably going to bring in two more guys. But pretty much you have starters when it comes to Tyler Johnson and your Kari Walker at your two offensive guard spots Jordan Cn is probably going to start for you at left tackle and then you're either going to have Khalil Benson starting at that other right tackle spot for you or whoever else you bring in this offensive line is drastically better right now than what it was at the start of this season this was one of the worst offensive lines in college football and Deion Sanders you got to commend him for going out there and addressing the offensive line in such a fashion that he's had with so much urgency. He hasn't wasted any time. He's addressed the offensive line before he's really addressed anything else. The defensive line still needs a lot of work, also. But the number one priority for Colorado in 2024, if they want to be able to have more success than what they did in 2023, is making sure that you get your dirt time to throw the football. I said this. Last year before the year started, and I still stand by this statement. There's not a single game that Colorado doesn't have a chance to win as long as they can protect Shadur Sanders. Shadur Sanders is my pick to win the Heisman next year this early. We've seen how good this team is when he's on the field and he gets protection. And when he's off the field, this is one of the worst teams in the sport. And if they're going to have a shot at winning the Big 12 next year, which they got a good chance of doing depending on what they do in the transfer portal and how their recruiting class pans out, you look at Shader Sanders, he's one of the best quarterbacks in college football entering next season. And if you can protect him and his offensive line is even average or slightly above average, there's not a chance that you're going to have that missing out on the bowl game and being able to win the Big 12. The Big 12 is a conference that has a lot of teams in a similar situation like what Colorado are right now. They're rebuilding their rosters. Texas and OU are leaving. The only really consistent teams that you have now are Kansas State, and that's about it. So you look at Colorado – Addressing the offensive line the way that they've had so far into the offseason is really impressive, and it gives you a lot of reasons to be optimistic about how good this team is going to be in 2024. The Philadelphia Eagles are really cold right now. They got blowed out by the Dallas Cowboys. They got embarrassed by the 49ers the week before. This team, though, is still good enough to win it all, and they still can win it all. Like, look, yeah, they looked unimpressive the last couple of weeks. They definitely haven't played their best football. But let's not forget, they still got wins over the Miami Dolphins, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Buffalo Bills. And you can say, well, the Chiefs and Bills aren't as good as what we thought they were. Okay, that's agreeable. But let's not forget they also beat Dallas the first time they played. Now, they didn't dominate Dallas like how Dallas just dominated them. But this is still one of the most talented teams in the NFL. And they're a three-loss team. And people are making it seem like the fall is falling. Or the sky is falling, excuse me. They're making it seem like the Eagles are one of the worst teams in the NFL. Like, look, Jalen Hurts is a great player when it comes to overcoming adversity. His level of play has definitely dropped off this season. Nobody's denying that. He still has played really good football in the fourth quarter when it matters the most and that's what you expect out of a franchise quarterback. I feel that Jalen Hurts' injury problems that he's been dealing with this season has been a large reason for why his play has went off the rails a little bit, but you look at the Eagles' last four games, you got the Seahawks on the road, the New York Giants, the Cardinals, and then the Giants again. Those are games that should be easily winnable. You should be able to still have opportunity to get that one seed, get that first round by, get Jalen Hurts held up, and hopefully you can have him at 80%, 90% come to the divisional round. But even if you can't hold on or find a way to win the one seed, Jalen Hurts in these next four games, he should be able to gain more confidence and his offense should be able to get back into rhythm. Like this offensive coordinator that they have that Eagles fans want fired like, he isn't great, but I still think that there's some growing pains that have to be worked out. And you can't put it all on the play caller when Jalen Hurts simply hasn't been as good as what he was last season. At the end of the day, when you got a great quarterback, he makes anybody calling the plays look good. This defense, the secondary, James Bradbury and Darius Slade, they just look old and washed at times. They're not terrible, but they definitely aren't playing at the high level that they were last year. And not just them, but the whole entire Eagles secondary hasn't played good this season. The strength of Philadelphia has been their defensive line. We know that they've dealt with injuries when it comes to linebacker. They just signed Shaq Leonard, so we're going to see how he's going to be able to come in and improve that defense. But losing two of your top coordinators to head coaching jobs, you definitely knew that it was going to be a little bit of a concern how the replacements were going to do. But there's been moments when this defense has looked really good and they've made big plays and they've been able to come out on top and get some big-time stops, like against Kansas City. There's been moments when this offense has been able to play at a high level, whether it be in the fourth quarter of games, despite not playing good the first three, it doesn't matter. This offense has still looked really productive at certain moments. And it's not about how you start, it's about how you finish. Right now, the Eagles are starting to finish off really sloppy this is a team that's really tough and they're really good at battling through adversity and they're going to figure this thing out they're way too talented for them to get rotten off yeah i'll probably have more confidence in the 49ers making it out of the nfc than philadelphia but i'm not taking dallas over them we know that Dallas is a good regular season team. We know that the Cowboys are always insanely talented, and they're good enough to win it off nearly every season. But I'm not going to trust them in the playoffs compared to Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia. I don't care if they lost to them in the regular season once. Philadelphia beat them once. We seem to forget that. And Dallas didn't perform in that game in the late moments of that matchup. Dallas is a team that I question how good they are in close games. And in a close game against Philadelphia in the playoffs, I trust Philadelphia. Now, I don't know about the 49ers, but I doubt that Philly is going to get crushed by San Francisco for the second time in the season with how talented they are and the kind of leadership that they have on that team in that locker room. I think that people are counting counting out the Philadelphia Eagles way too soon just because they are two straight losses that look really ugly to the top teams in the NFC. I'd rather lose in the regular season than lose to these same teams if I have to go up against them in the playoffs. The Eagles are way too good of a team to get blown out by the Cowboys and the 49ers twice in the season. You see, when it comes to NFL media – People change their opinions like the wind, okay? It's like a week-to-week thing. Every single week, there's a new number one team in the NFL. But I've stayed firm on my take that the Eagles and the Ravens are going to be the two teams that we see in the Super Bowl. The Ravens had a stretch where they weren't playing their best football. The Eagles have kind of had a season when they looked a lot similar to how Minnesota did last year, winning a lot of games closely, having to come from behind a lot of times. But you can't deny the talent that's on this team. And I would love to see them face the Cowboys and the 49ers again in the playoffs because I feel those games will go much differently. When you have a team this talented, it's hard to see them getting blown out the way that they did twice. And I can see this team getting revenge on both San Francisco and Dallas if they see them again in the playoffs because I believe that they're going to have a month of football where they're not playing against great teams anymore And they're going to be able to figure things out. Philadelphia had a gauntlet of a schedule. They had to go against the Dolphins, the Bills, the Chiefs. It was a tough stretch. And despite the fact that they've lost two straight, this is still one of the best teams in the league. And they just had a tough schedule this year. We knew that things were going to be a little bit difficult for Philadelphia this year. It wasn't going to be smooth sailing. Just like Dallas has a really tough schedule. But Philadelphia has beaten numerous good teams this season. And them losing to two other good teams this year doesn't change how I feel about them being able to make it to the Super Bowl. They still have a really talented roster. Nick Sarriano is is still a really good head coach. And they got a really good pass rush. And the fact that Dallas normally folds in the playoffs under Mike McCarthy consistently I still would take them over Dallas if they rematch in the postseason and I still think that they could pull off a win against the 49ers if they see them again Alabama going into this season many people counted this team out you know me I either was going to go with the Tide or Texas A&M to win the SEC and I'm glad that I went with Alabama because Texas A&M was a disaster this season and Nick Saban, this is the best coach in college football history and one of the best coaches in the history of sports. And with him on the sidelines for Bama going into the playoffs this season, you should feel really strongly about the TI's chances to win it all this season. You know, with Nick Saban being the head coach of this team, going into their semifinal matchup against Michigan, they're going to be prepared. They're going to have a great game plan and they're going to play to the best of their ability. You're not going to have a situation where this team doesn't show up. And I doubt that they're going to get blown out by any team that they face off against, especially if they have to play Texas in a rematch in the national championship. Do you know how hard it is to beat Nick Saban twice? especially in a neutral site game, like you beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa, you get a lot of props from that. But it's really hard to beat Nick Saban two times in the same season. When you look at how talented this Alabama team is, they got one of the most talented teams in all of college football. They're like number one or number two in blue chip talent ratio. They got more five and four stars than pretty much anybody else in college football outside of Georgia and Ohio State. Nick Saban is going to have this team prepared. Now, when you look at Jalen Milrow, he's a big reason why Alabama's offense is going to be really tough to stop because you look at his dynamic dual threat ability, the fact that he throws a really nice deep ball, he's really fantastic with the ball in his hands. Michigan hasn't seen a quarterback like this all season long. And Washington... You don't know if they're really going to be able to have the personnel to match up with the kind of athleticism that Jalen Milrow has as well. Texas, they had a really good game plan against Jalen Milrow when they beat them early in the season. But the Jalen Milrow that we see now is not the same quarterback that we saw when Alabama lost to Texas at home. He's gotten better every single week since that game happened. And Jalen Milrow, he may not be the most consistent passer, But he's good enough to get the job done, and when you cable that with the fact that you have to account for his running ability, which is out of this world, it opens up passing lanes because you're going to have to leave guys in as spies, which takes additional guys that you could have in coverage. Alabama's receiving core with Bond and Burton. They're good enough to have success against any other defense in the playoffs. Look, Michigan has a good defense, but these receivers are good enough to get open against that Michigan secondary. Okay, Texas secondary is the worst out of all the teams in the playoffs this year. Their secondary is the weakest link of their defense. Washington, their defense has played really well, but you do like the matchup between Alabama and with how physical they are up front compared to Washington. You look at Alabama's defense, though, right? This is the biggest reason why they can win it all this year. No team in college football has as talented as a defense as what Alabama has. I believe that this is the best defense in college football. Their defensive line is outstanding. They have multiple guys who can get after the quarterback. We already know about Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell who lead the team in sacks. But they got other defensive linemen who can get pressure on the quarterback. There are multiple guys who have silver sacks on this pass rush. And you look at how good this defense also is against the run. Going up against a team like Michigan that is run heavy, if you can slow down their run game and force them to become a pass-heavy team against this secondary, you feel really good about your chances to pull off that win. Michigan is not a team that's built to win throwing the football religiously. Like, they only have to throw the football eight times to beat Penn State. And they played a pretty complimentary game against Ohio State. But like we saw last year when they were in the semifinals and they lost to TCU, when you can make them a one-dimensional offense and you put the weight of the game on J.J. McCarthy's shoulders, he's not that good enough to get it done. As a matter of fact, I think that J.J. McCarthy is massively overrated, and this Alabama defense is going to expose that. He holds on to the ball too long. He doesn't throw with anticipation. Alabama's defense, their secondary may give up a couple of big plays here and there due to miscommunication. But this is one of the most talented secondaries in all of college football. You got Kool-Aid McKinstry, who's going to be a first-round pick in next year's draft. You got Terrian Arnold, who has five interceptions, 11 pass breakups. There's so much talent and depth in this Alabama secondary, and with how good they are on the front seven, this is going to be a really tough outing for not just Michigan, but potentially any other team that they could face off in the postseason. You see, Nick Saban coming into this year, the reason why people were low on him was because you had questions about quarterback in this coaching staff. But the biggest questions that we had about Alabama – what people thought were going to be weaknesses for this team, have now turned into strength. Kevin Still, Tommy Reese have been fantastic coordinators for Nick Saban this year. Tommy Reese has been really good as the offensive coordinator for Alabama. And this defensive coordinator, Kevin Still, this defense has been the best that it's been in the last couple of years under Nick Saban. And it's going to be hard to score more than at least 20 points on Alabama's defense with the fact that they're good against the run, they got a good secondary, and they got a great pass rush, this is the most complete defense in the playoffs this year to me. Michigan's defense, they're good as well, but I do think that Alabama has a slight edge over them on the defense side of the football. You see, with how good Jalen Milrow has been the last couple of weeks, ever since he got benched against USF, he has been a completely different quarterback. And I don't think there's a big gap between him and J.J. McCarthy. I think they're on 11 play, a level playing field. They both have their strengths and weaknesses. Jalen Milrow, the same thing that you say about J.J. McCarthy, asking him to win the game with his arm, you probably have that same concern with Jalen Milrow because he hasn't really been asked to throw the football no more than 20-plus times in the game. But with his athleticism, and how much of a home threat he is anytime he decides to run with the football. I like Jalen Millro in that matchup against J.J. McCarthy. He just has a different way that he can attack that Michigan defense that they haven't seen all season. And trying to game plan for this kind of athleticism is really difficult to stop. Especially when you play the way that he did against Georgia in the SEC championship game when he was extending plays, buying time for guys to get open, making big throws with the pocket collapsing, getting outside and keeping the drive alive on third down. It's really frustrating as a defensive coordinator when you gotta worry about a quarterback like Jalen Milro. Because anytime things go wrong, he can still turn something in he can turn nothing into something. So I'm looking at Alabama. And this team has a very great chance at being able to win the 2024 national championship. Like Washington, they're probably going to be my pick to win it all. But I don't know, because I still like Alabama a lot. And I'm never going to count out the Nick Saban coach team. He has only lost one semifinal game in the history of the college football playoffs. And that was to Cardell Jones, Urban Meyer, and Ohio State in 2014. That's it. So you know that this Alabama team is going to be well prepared and there's a reason why Michigan had that worried expression on their looks when they found out that they was going to be playing Alabama and not FSU. Some people say that Michigan was surprised and okay, but there's a reason why they were surprised and had some shocked looks on their faces. Like when you know that you're playing against Alabama and you got to go up against Nick Saban. You know that it's going to be tough, and I'm pretty sure they would have been really confident about their chances of beating FSU. They definitely didn't want to see Alabama, and I don't think anybody wants to see Alabama. You see, Alabama is one of those teams that they don't really beat themselves. With how great this defense has played and the fact that they're complete on all levels, you know, it's going to be a big reason why why they possibly could win it all this year. And Jalen Milrow and this offense, yeah, they may not impress you, but they're good enough to get it done also with his dual-thread ability, his game-changing rushing ability, and the fact that they got a solid offensive line that struggled the first half of this season, but they definitely played well over the last couple of weeks. Some of the sacks that Jalen Milrow has taken has been because he's tried to do a little bit too much. But Alabama, they got everything that they need to win it all this year. Like this is one of the most talented teams. This is the most talented team in the playoffs this year, just based on recruiting rankings and the overall level level of talent that they have. So the talent's there. you know, the coaching is there, the execution is going to be there as well. And it's going to be really hard to beat Alabama. The NFC playoff picture is starting to heat up. And the race for the one seed is getting really interesting. Because with the Cowboys blowout win over the Philadelphia Eagles, the one seed is up for grabs. Who is going to win it? Is it going to be the Dallas Cowboys, the 49ers, or the Philadelphia Eagles going to be able to get recontrol control of it? You see, you look at the 49ers, their schedule is not that difficult. You got the Cardinals and then you got to play the Ravens, which is probably going to be their toughest game, and then your last two games after that, you got to play the Commanders, then the Rams. So at worst, the 49ers go 3 and 1 the last four games and they're 13 and 4. The Dallas Cowboys, they got the toughest stretch out of any team right now of the 3. You got to play the Buffalo Bills on the road in Buffalo. Dallas I would take them to win that game, but it's going to be really difficult. Buffalo, they're a tough team to beat at home, especially when you got to deal with that weather. Josh Allen, he's been playing some incredible football. I think he's been playing, at an MVP level the last few weeks. It's going to be hard to beat that Bills team on the road. Then you got to play the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins, yeah, they don't play their best football against great teams, But at the same time, you know that if you're the Dallas Cowboys, that's going to be a game that is going to be pretty tough as well. Because although they don't play their best football in big games, they still are good enough to beat you. Okay. then you got to play the Detroit Lions the week after that. And we know how good the Lions have been this year. And you're playing the Lions at home, but you're playing them in the dome. The Detroit Lions, when they've struggled, it's been cold weather. Jerry Gall plays his best football indoors around this time of the year. So that's going to be another difficult game. And then you got to play the Washington Commanders. The Philadelphia Eagles, their last four games are easier than the 49ers and the Dallas Cowboys. They got to play the Seahawks, the Giants twice, and the Arizona Cardinals. So you're going to be going up against three teams that don't have winning records. Who Seattle right now, they're fighting for their playoff lives. I believe that Philadelphia is still going to be able to get the one seed. Like, the 49ers, yes, they possibly could go 4-0, but that Baltimore game is going to be incredibly difficult for them. And the Rams, they're a better team now than what they were the last time they played. Even though they're going to have the talent advantage, you're still going to have a Rams team that Sean McVay, I don't think that He's going to lose the 49ers twice this season based on how we've seen the Rams play, especially with the performance that they had on the road against Baltimore. And Baltimore plays their best football at home. So I think that the 49ers, yeah, everybody probably is going to roll with them. But in terms of Philadelphia, their last four games, you're pretty confident that they should be able to win those. The 49ers probably could have at least one loss. Dallas, I believe they're at least going to have two losses to close out this year. I don't know who to. It could be Bills, Dolphins, Dolphins, Lions. But they played some really good football. I don't think they're going to win out. I think they're probably going to finish around 12-5. and 5. Philly, they played a tough schedule. They played some really good teams. They had to play Kansas City. They had to play Buffalo, Miami, 49ers, recently Dallas twice. So, of course, they were going to start to lose a little bit of steam. But late in the season, they got a really favorable break. Playing teams that don't have winning records, that they're more talented than, they should be able to win out and go 4-0 and be able to go 14-3 and and get back into control of the one seed. The 49ers, I just don't know if they're going to be able to beat the Baltimore Ravens. Not saying they can't. But I like the Baltimore Ravens to win that game. But even if the 49ers do, they will own the tiebreaker over both Dallas and the Eagles because they did beat both of these teams. So they pretty much controlled their own destiny when it comes to getting that first round bye that comes with getting that one seed. But I still believe that the Philadelphia Eagles are going to be the team to get the best seed in the NFC playoffs, and they're going to get home field advantage. And they desperately need it because Jalen Hurts is banged up. A first round bye and a week for him to heal up and get close to as healthy as possible would be major for them looking to make another Super Bowl run. So I think Philly, with their easy schedule to close out this season, They're going to hold on to that one seed and regain control of that thing. Washington is being severely underestimated again. But this is nothing new. They've been underestimated all season long. They were pretty much a a 9.5 point, 10 point underdog against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. And they smacked them again. And they got a big advantage against Texas that not a lot of people are talking about. Washington has the best passing attack In college football. Michael Penix was a Heisman finalist. One of the best quarterbacks in college football. And he's throwing to the three best receivers that we are going to see Texas face off against that they haven't seen all season long. Washington, their their wide receiving core poses a major mismatch for Texas. Because Texas, their defense has been really good. They got a really good front seven. But their secondary is awful. And right now, they are 86 in college football and passing yards per game allowed. Not good. And they've given up a lot of big plays downfield when they're not able to get consistent pressure on the quarterback and this secondary has to stay in coverage for a long period of time. They get carved up. Washington's receivers, you look at Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk. Not only are they insanely talented, but they got incredible athleticism and size as well. All of these guys are 6'4 or taller. So Washington, you look at the fact that you may not have any success running the football at all against Texas defense. It's impossible to run the football against this Longhorns defense. It doesn't really matter because you're a team that's going to be able to destroy this secondary. And for Washington, you know, Kalen DeBoer, his offensive coordinator, Ryan Grubbs, they specialize on the offensive side of the football. So they're definitely going to have this offense playing at their highest level come the semifinal game against Texas. Texas defense is really outstanding when you look at it statistically, but their secondary is a major concern. If you're a Texans fan listening to this right now, you probably would agree with that also. Like, your secondary is the Achilles heel of your defense. Washington has a really outstanding offensive line. Michael Penix has only been sacked 10 times all season long. And when Michael Penix starts the game out hot, this offense is good enough to put 40 or 50 points on you. This is most likely going to be a high-scoring game. It's probably going to be a combined total of maybe 80 to 90 points. The final score should be in the 40s for both of these two teams. I don't see any one of these defenses getting a lot of stops. But I do believe that Washington, their offense is being drastically underrated against te- against Texas defense that, yeah, they're really talented up front, but that secondary is going to get shredded by Michael Penix and these wide receivers. These wide receivers, this is probably the best receiving core in college football this year. Texas haven't seen a wide receiving core this talented all season long. And, Teams have been able to throw the football on this defense when they've had time to throw, such as Will Howard. He had a pretty good game against this Texas defense. Texas, their secondary. They're going to have a long afternoon trying to defend these Washington wideouts. With how good this offensive line is, they're going to be able to hold their own, and Michael Penix is going to have a good amount of time to throw the football. And when you give Michael Penix the clean pocket, he's going to destroy you. Michael Penix is probably going to have 400 yards passing, maybe 500, four or five passing touchdowns for, you know, probably completing 67 to 70 percent of his passes. This is going to be an absolutely masterful performance that we're going to see out of Michael Penix in this game. Texas secondary isn't going to be able to slow down these wide receivers. They're way too deep way too talented and way too skilled with the way Texas secondary has fared this season. So Texas defense, they're going to be in for a really tough afternoon against this Washington offense. It's a big advantage that the Huskies have in this game. And it's a large reason why I believe that the Huskies not only can beat Texas, but I believe they possibly could win it all. And they're being drastically underrated once again. These wide receivers, they're incredible. They're really hard to stop, and it's hard to even have two great corners that have three cornerbacks that can match up against these wide receivers. Yeah, good luck. The Longhorns are going to need it. This is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. If you enjoyed, leave a like, subscribe to the channel. Remember that every episode of the podcast is available in audio format on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Wherever you get your podcasts from, the JT Sports Podcast is available. If you enjoyed, rate us five stars on Apple and Spotify. Also, share the pod with your friends, family members, and acquaintances. And I will see you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast.